Welcome to Meet the Musician Texas at the Apple Store Kurfürstendamm. Please welcome our guest moderator, Milena Fessmann. Hi and welcome. Let me say, I, I really like it that so many people are here and I hope you are very excited about what's happening tonight. And I'm very honored to welcome Shalene Spiteri on stage. Yes. <laughs> Hello. Hi and welcome. Thank you. How do you feel? It kind of feels quite strange. I've never done anything like this. Um, <laughs> you know, when you walk onto a stage and you don't really know what's in front of you. Um, yeah, I saw the venue earlier on, but it's, um, yeah, it's kind of cool. <laughs> I didn't know if there'd be like five people or one person or... It's nice to see so many. Okay, but you're quite familiar with interviews since being would, in the business for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I would think after 25 years um, in Texas that probably I might have done a few interviews in my career. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> so first of all, congratulations, because it's, um, it's quite interesting to be in the business for such a long time and being so successful all over the years. And there are not so many female-fronted bands who still sort of can count to 25. That's, that, that's incredible. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big, it's quite a big deal. Um, for any band, male or female, um, to have a 25-year career is massive. And um, yeah, I guess probably determination and stubbornness has uh, kind of set us in good stead to, to still be here. So what, was, what has changed the most over the last 25 years? Um, I mean, probably the, the, the biggest thing that's changed is the way that music is consumed. I mean, we're obviously here at Apple and um, they have a big, big giant part of how music is consumed and how we purchase our music now and how it's, um, how it's um, seen. And, you know, you can 24 hours of the day, seven days a week, you can basically download music any way you want. Um, at any point and um, you know that freedom is fantastic you know I think there's I think there's there's debates about um, obviously um, certain things you know for me I, I would like things to be seen in, in, in a change that people were kind of more filtered into buying albums um, mm -hmm. for the reason being that um, I think the kind of buffy bar um, way of life nowadays is, is sometimes I think you miss out on certain things. And, you know, artists and songwriters spend a long time writing the songs and, and cultivating a whole album as a journey for people. And it's like anything, sometimes when, rather than just buying the singles, I think it would be, it's better if people were, were consuming albums so that, you know, three weeks in, when, when you've listened to an album over mm. and over again, suddenly track five and track seven and track nine are the tracks that you love. They're not the really obvious ones, but they're the things that make the, the, the album a complete package. And it's, it's, it's the thing that makes all the singles and songs make sense within a record. And um, I think that especially for young artists, not so much for, for us, you know, we're older artists and we've sold a lot of albums, um, but for touring reasons that, that, that um, bands need to build catalogue, it's mm -hmm. very, very important that people, people listen to albums so that when the young bands go out on the road and they have, they have songs that you then know, not just the hit singles, because that's basically how their, their careers end up lasting for such a short time is because when they don't sell the next single, the record companies drop them and they leave them and they're, 
you know, they're washed up in the wayside. And mm -hmm. um, so it's very important, the, the, the culture of, of albums. So um, when you started, because you just mentioned sort of the, the, the way people use music today in a certain way. But when you started, it was a whole different business at all. Because you once said in an interview, a record company was sort of like the, the heart of rock and roll. It was different at that time. And nowadays, it's, it's all about business, and it's all about how, how to sell records. <clears throat> Is there still any sort of like the moment where you can cling to, where you know, well, remember always, how you started? Yeah, I mean, it was always, it was always an... I mean, the music industry, full stop, throughout the world is is, is a, a very big, profitable business. And um, I think that it was always a business. It was just a very different business to what it is now. Um, and the, the scary thing um, is that before it was a business, but there was people within that business that just adored music, that loved records, that loved going to see live bands, that enjoyed the music, that took chances. There were people that took big, big chances on bands, on things that the public didn't even know was out there, and there was people there that put that out there. Um, the one thing is, is that, you know, everything needs to move on in life. You know, it's exciting, as I said, it's exciting the way we can consume music now at any point of the day, 24 hours a day. So as if you hear a song in your head from any point in your life, you can just go and get it there and then. Um, but there needs to be the people that are working in the music industry with the belief and the, and, and the, and the dream of finding something new, finding new music, mm -hmm. finding great songwriters, not just basically copying what someone else did that sold millions of records. It's about cultivating young new bands and giving them the opportunity to make great records and have long careers. Mm. When you you were quite young when you auditioned for for the band, and you came I never auditioned for the band. Okay, so, so but how, now probably audition is the wrong word, but when you came into the band, you were quite young, but the Glasgow music scene at that time was very lively. Mm, yeah. There was like Orange Juice and Postcard and many other bands. So, so do you remem remember what you thought when you said, okay, we start a band now? Um, did you well, ever imagine what happened afterwards? I was, I was actually, I was, I was, it was the week before my 18th birthday when I met Johnny, who's my songwriting partner and the bass player in Texas. And Johnny was actually a big part of that whole, probably one of the most successful bands that came out of Glasgow at that point, which was Altered Images. So he had already been in a very successful band and then formed another band after that, which were also very successful, Hipsway. And then that was at the point that then we met each other when he'd finished in Hipsway and he was he was ready to do something new and we met through a mutual friend and that was where Texas was formed. Um, you know, sometimes even now I, I look back, we're not really kind of band that look back a lot, but um, it's... It's funny, because of the 25th anniversary, we've kind of been almost forced to look back at our career. And it is strange because it feels like it was only yesterday mm -hmm. to me. It feels like five, maybe five or six years that I've been in the band. Um, it doesn't feel like, you know, most of my adult life. And um, I, honestly, I, I, sometimes I still... You know, sometimes I don't. I don't really. I think we're still. We're still trying to get there. <laughs> okay. In my brain, I sometimes I think we're still trying to get to a successful place. Even though though we are, we've sold so many records, and 
played so many concerts and it's been it's been a very interesting fun journey. Yeah, I can imagine. You named your, the band after Wim Wenders' Paris, Texas. Yes. So you were always looking at the whole career. Sometimes one can feel that you had had a sort of like a special connection to movies. So, but why this movie? Movies were always well, first of all, Paris, Texas was the sort of common ground that Johnny and I had when we first met. It was something that we both liked, um, and it was a sound the the soundtrack by Ry Cooder, which we felt was very special. And the movie was just, you know, Vim Vendors as a director is, you know, he takes very big chances in his in his um, in his his movies, the space that he allows them, um, the silence that he allows within the movie, and you know that's you come back to someone like David Lean movies or something. That's kind of very much the chances that a director like that took with Lawrence of Arabia or something in the moment where he comes over the the sand dunes on the on the camel. Um, it's doing things like that sometimes are. are you know, especially at a point where fast, 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 fast editing was was becoming the mm -hmm. sort of the very fashionable thing to do. Vim Vendors was kind of going in the opposite direction, and um, we we just loved the movie. We loved the space and the the, the sort of the breathe, you know, the breath mm -hmm. round about it. And um, that was that was really why we, we were we felt so connected to the movie and. You know, we both we both love film very, very much, and it's been very influential in our songwriting. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's and in and everything that we do, and the way we make albums, a lot of the time we'll have like um, a minute or so of of music or just sounds or something to start off an album. So we're trying trying to really sort of create a mood and a feeling, and um, that that's kind of I guess comes from. The love of film. Mm -hmm. yeah, but it's funny, because um, when you just mentioned the space, because Wim is very famous for his space in the movies, not in every movie he did, mm. but they're almost like road movies all the time. People are moving, and it's a lot of space. And compared to your music, one can find sort of like, not the equivalent, but it's it's the, the music of Texas always was very intense, and you could feel the songs, but there was always something you, you couldn't really figure out. That's probably what I really liked about it. Because it's, Thank you. it's not like, a, it's a statement and mm. it, somehow, but there's something else where I can sort of like have my own ideas with, with the songs. Well, I think that's, very, I mean, I think that's what makes a record connect mm -hmm. to people. I mean, it's the, it's, it's amazing that music is, is probably the one art form that exists, um, that basically you, um, can travel all over the world and there can be a massive language barrier but for some reason people understand an emotion or a feeling even though lyrically they may not understand every word but there's something within the song that connects to mm -hmm. them and it connects to their life and you know it's all the great records that I love um, that I grew up with that became my songs that, I, that, that connected me to um, bands that connected them to my friends was was something was something that makes a record stay with you for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. You've always worked with different peoples from the music scene. You did a last record in 2013 with Richard Hawley, Bernard Butler yep. were involved, and then you did uh, at the beginning of the year Texas 25. Yeah. And listening to the album, of course, there 
famous songs of you in there, but they're new ones as well. Mm -hmm. It's not like a like this typical greatest hits album <laughs> the record company normally wants you to do. Yeah. It's more like a documentary. You did something very special. That's exactly, you know, okay. I've, I've never actually even said that or thought of that, but that's exactly what it was and what it is, is it is a documentation of our career, mm -hmm. um, but given to you in a, in a slightly different way. We wanted to do something special for the fans. We wanted to put something out there that was a little bit different and really celebrated um, the songwriting. Um, we've always spoke about the fact that soul music has always been very influential mm -hmm. within our, our, our music and our writing. And I think with the songs being stripped back and us going to New York and working with Truth and Soul, we did some in Glasgow, some in London, and we mixed the album in Nashville. And it was kind of connecting all the dots. You know, when we started, the first song that we ever released was I Don't Want a Lover, which was very influenced by the whole Vim Vendor sound and slightly country folk roots music. And then it went more into blues and then came out the other end as soul. And that's kind of how our, our music has progressed and our songwriting has progressed. So it was stripping it all back and letting everybody hear um, those elements to the writing and, and I guess touching on the places that we thought were important to the music that we'd made. Mm. You said you went to to New York, um, to Queens. I think Truth and Soul is a, yeah, it's a phenomena somehow because they, <laughs> they worked with Adele, they worked with Amy Winehouse and they have this, it's probably not a sound, it's probably like a way to work with songs because it's, mm. it's clinked to old soul, yeah. the spirit probably of Definitely. the old When you listen to the songs, you can and fear and or feel the absolutely. vintage sound in a way being modern as well. And they're a bunch of young guys, that's what the big surprise is. You know, they're, we'd actually worked with them when I, when I made the solo album, mm -hmm. um, uh, Melody, and um, they had worked with us on on all the times I cried, they played on that track. And that was the first time we'd ever worked with them. So that was quite a long time ago. And um, yeah, they've just continued to get more and more successful. And so it was nice that we had this this relationship with them. And y the great thing was, is we, when we decided to make this 20, 25th record, we said that we wanted to strip it back and we wanted to make it as a soul record. and. You know, it could have been something that failed massively. But as soon as we got to New York and we just started playing together, because um, they're young, um, the, the guys knew the band and they knew how successful we'd been and everything, but they didn't know all the songs. Mm -hmm, so okay. the great thing about it was, was some, some of the songs, they were hearing them for the very first time. So we would play the original record once, we'd all sit and listen, and we would just go into the live room and we'd just start playing. And it was very, very quickly that we that we knew that this record was going to work, that, that, that it was taking on a natural sound and, and personality straight away. Yeah, it sounds very organic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah which, which music should be, yeah, you know, course, it really is. There's a lot of music out there, which even if people want to sound it like organic, it doesn't work like this. So, and when you listen to it, you can feel that there are people involved. Yeah. People on the one hand who are, had been working together for a very, very long time, and then new ones who, who brought in new impact. Yeah, and it's, you know, going back to the thing that I said about record companies earlier on, that's why it's so important that there's people within record companies and within the music industry that love music, because it's not just about the songwriters or or the musicians or the band. It's about the team of people that work round about you. You know, it's about people make, making sure that, it's, that it gets out there and is seen in the right way and it's heard in the right places. Um, and all those things are very, very important to, to making 
a successful record. Mm. You worked, and um, they're, they're the oldest songs on the record, but they're also new ones. Yeah. Um, and you brought, again, new people in, Jack Towns and Karen Ann, who yeah. did songwriting with you. So how is this process coming from the outside, probably we've known them for a while, then coming to sort of like a, like a band who's been together for such a long time, who know every detail of, of yeah. the other one, who are very into, into each other's. Was, was it hard for someone to go into or? No, no, I mean, I don't think it's, I mean, they're Jack Towns and Cannon, you know, they're great songwriters. And, um, I, you know, they're, they're young, they're young and they're hungry and they want to make great records. And um, that was what was exciting about it, was having that energy round about you. And, you know, we've worked with so many different songwriters as well, Dallas Austin, Greg Alexander, um, all these people have been involved with us. But what happens is when you're in a room sometimes with different people that you don't normally work with, you're almost like a peacock. You know, you kind of, ah, you know, Johnny and I have worked together for so, so many years. And sometimes when someone new and young and vibrant comes into a room, you suddenly sit up a bit and you, you work a little bit different. And, you know, their ideas are coming from another place sometimes. And it's great to get that mix. One of the songs is called Start a Family. Yes. It's somehow clinked to another episode because um, it's when you see the video you did in 2000, 2000, you did it with Alan Rickman and he's again in a new video. Yeah. So it's quite nice because he normally, I have never seen him in a music video. No, he's, um, I, no, I don't think he's ever done a music video. Um, it was a bit of a strange um, meeting. Um, we did the, the video for In Demand together many years ago. And um, we were actually in Abbey Road recording the, the greatest hits and, and we were having a, a meeting about the video. And um, uh, Michael Kamen, the, the conductor, came into the room. We had done a thing with Michael Kamen at the UN a few years previous to it. And Michael came in to say hello and he says, oh, I was just on the phone to my friend Alan Rickman. Literally five minutes before this was said, we were literally talking about doing the tango in the video. And I said, you know, it needs to be someone that you would believe would dance the tango. You know, it just can't be some really handsome guy. It's, you know, it's got to be someone that you think, God, he would dance the tango. And at this moment, when um, Michael came in and said, Alan Rickman, we all looked at each other and went, now Alan Rickman, he would dance the tango. <laughs> and um, that that was literally how it happened. And... and we said to Michael, do you think you could call him and ask him if he would be interested in being in a video? And um, he, he said, yeah, let's do it. I'm a big fan. I'd love to work with you guys. And, and we had a fantastic time. We had to learn the tango. And, and it was funny because he'd actually danced the tango in a movie previously before that. So he was, he was a lot better than I was straight up. No. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then when we came to do Start a Family, um, last year we, were, we had recorded the song and... Um, we thought it would be interesting to do another version of the song for, um, um, you know, just to, to celebrate um, doing something a bit special. And um, we were sitting thinking about a voice and it was about a very particular tone and sound within the record. And it was almost like, it was like, you know, if you could have Johnny Cash's voice on, it'd be fantastic. And as we were saying this, we sort of went, what about Alan Rickman? Because he has such a distinctive you know, he has such a distinctive voice and, it's, it's, you know, it's a really distinctive sound to it. And um, I called him up and said, 
hey, Alan, it's Shard, do you fancy singing on a record? And he burst out <laughs> laughing. He just went, I'll give it a shot. And I said, <laughs> okay. okay. So he came down to, to Johnny's house where we have a little studio and we, um, we recorded it. He did it in a couple of takes and it was, as always, he's fantastic. And then we shot the video. Yeah, he's very fantastic. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, so there, I think it's four songs on the new uh, on the album. Four which, new songs, yeah. Which I knew. Um, was it because having the idea in your back? We do a documentary about a career, mm. and then writing new songs. Was it? Um, did they've been there before, or did you said we we, we need new I, songs on the album as well? Oh, no, I guess we were probably testing ourselves. We were probably testing ourselves to see if we could write songs that would stand up to the mm -hmm. the big hits that we'd already written, and. It felt like us showing exactly where we'd moved to and showing, you know, documenting where we've got to now. So, you know, it was part of the journey. The, the journey was the past right up to the present. Mm -hmm. So that was why there had to be the four new songs on it. And, um, you know, it just, it, just, it just felt that was, that was the right thing to do. It's interesting because it's, as normal as greatest records are always have like a bit like an ending, like putting something on top and then it's done. Mm. And this with a new song, songs, it's it's like, ah, oh, this is the beginning oh, of no, a journey. You can, you can never put a lid on anything. <laughs> you know, you got to, you know, those those songs will never have a lid put on them because they're out there. You know, that's that's the way it is now. Those songs will be there for, you know, who knows, maybe they'll go to sleep for 10, 20, 30 years and maybe another generation will discover those songs at some point. I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with them, but it's like anything. You know, I remember discovering so many songs and records through um, my parents' record collection, but also through bands that I liked that would that would say they, would, they were influenced by someone else I'd never heard of. And, you know, then I'd go and listen to that band and listen to, to their music and suddenly, you know, that was something else that was like in my little jukebox in my head. So, yeah, music will always, always be there. Okay, so thank you, first of all, and now it's up to you. So do you have any questions? And if so, give us a sign, then you get a microphone, and this is your chance now. Get okay, us someone in the, in the front. So where, ah, here, in the front. Thank you. Hi there. Hello. Um, you spoke about um, musical influences just a moment ago. Who would you say over the last 25 years have been your biggest influences? What, new or old? Uh, both. <laughs> um, old, I mean, in, in, in the, I mean, we've always spoke about Motown and the music was made of Motown. People, Al Green, Marvin Gaye, um, those were the sort of, I guess, the very big influences. And um, then I guess it's at a point where you use those influences, but you don't even realize that so much the music that you grew up with influences how you write and the music that you make. Um, people like Dexy's Midnight Runners, um, Echo and the Bunnymen, Blondie, you know, Elvis Costello through to ABBA. I mean, it literally goes across the board. Um, and then you move into how music is evolving as, as you're making records. And, you know, even to the point where we made a record with the Wu-Tang Clan, but hip-hop became, 
you know, hip hop really did change the way that people made records, the way musicians used beats, how production became something quite different within music. You know, even bands like Kraftwerk influence, you know, using electronics. I mean, probably, I mean, I know there's been a big argument about it in the last few weeks about who's been the most influential bands in music. And Kraftwerk came out as one of the bands that probably probably the band that was that changed the forefront of music and how it was made and brought technology into music. Um, so, you know, there's there's so many things sometimes that you don't really see it when you're making it. But those are the people that those are those are the the bands and people that have influenced us greatly. Any more questions? <laughs> Don't be shy. None. I can go home. <laughs> There's one. <laughs> you talked a lot about changes in the last 24, uh, 25 years. Uh, what about the business model? I think many musicians change the business model. Uh, you talked about selling records, but my question is, is it always the uh, up-to-now uh, business model for a musician uh, in the uh, time of uh, streaming portals, uh, sharing music for for nothing? And and I think many musicians change the model, say, say playing and doing more concerts, because I think that's the only way to earn money, well, and not all this uh, selling records as yeah. it was in the last time. Well, this is this is the whole point of what I said. It's it's easy for the older bands like ourselves and um, you know bands that already have had a success within selling records because we've built up catalog. Therefore, we can tour, so we can go on tour and we can just play. You know, we've got a big enough show to sell tickets that people want to come and see it. So for the younger bands, it's very, very important that they're given the opportunity to build up catalogue. You know, you'll not get tour support to, for a young band to come out on tour with you anymore. People will be, everyone's fighting for the same slots. The interesting thing that's happening, you know, you talk about, a bit, uh, you know, this, this idea of um, a business plan for um, musicians now. There's a very interesting thing happening, whereas there's almost been a business plan made by the songwriters and the musicians themselves, the young ones, where this is where technology has advanced everything. And it's funny because it's almost going back to a time of punk. There's almost this punk ethos that um, young bands will write, produce, make their own records. You know, because of technology, you can, you know, you can get your computer up and you can make a record very, very cheap now. You were not able to do that when we started making records. You had to get into a studio to make records, um, to use the equipment that they had. Now you can make a record on a, on a laptop like this. So basically you can make your own records. You can put them out there that night. You can, make, you can write a song, produce it that night and put it out there and it could spread all over the world within minutes. Um, so there's a different business plan from the young, new musicians that are coming out who are basically almost cutting out the big, big companies and saying, okay, we can put our music out there. We, we can put it up on iTunes in a minute. So it's, it's, it's you know, there's, there's, a, there's a almost a refreshing, rebellious streak coming through that's, that I think is within the next few years is going to be a lot more interesting because I think it's going to change the big business plan of the big, the big majors. Another question. Here in the front? It's always the ones Here. in the front. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hi there. Hello. 
Um, yesterday evening, amazing show, by the way. Um, Thank you. You were quite surprised about um, a lot of very young people in the audience. Mm. 25 years ago, I used to be a big fan of two bands. One was Texas, the other one was Tapao. Wow. Um, today, I think Apple would, wouldn't even think about inviting Carol Decker to this stage. What do you think did you do right to be here tonight and um, even being interesting for the young people? Wow. <laughs> I never thought I'd be in the same sentence as to Pow, but there we go. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I, I, remember, I remember when we were actually making our first album, when we were making Southside, and we went to Los Angeles to work with Bernard Edwards from Chic. And I remember sitting in the studio, it was, I'd never been in a studio, but like a big studio before, and we were there in America, and to Pow at that moment in time, we were like massive. You know, this band were a big, big successful band. I remember actually going to see, I, I went in Glasgow, we hadn't even put a record out yet. So they did come a good little bit before us. And um, I remember going to see Tapau playing, playing in Glasgow at the, the SECC and Brian Adams was opening for them. Um, so, you know, I think Tapau are just that little bit different. And, you know, I think, I think you've got to look at the reason that someone is in a band or making music. You know, I can't speak for Carol Decker. I, you know, I don't know the, the woman. I've never met her. Um, but for us, it was always about being in a band. And it was always just about making great music and touring and playing fantastic shows. All the other bullshit that goes with it, honestly, I couldn't give a shit. You know, I really, we don't care about being famous, about being celebrities, about being recognized. We don't care. Um, it's always just about making great records and putting on a fantastic show. And um, who knows, maybe that's why we're still here um, because we always protected the main thing that it was, the, the, basically the plan of what we always wanted to do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So probably one last question. And there isn't one. No one? Yes. <laughs> I don't need to answer any so more questions. Another 10 seconds? No? Okay. So thank you very much for coming. Thank Congratulations you. Congratulations again for Texas 25. Charlene Spiteri. Thank you very much. <laughs>